Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the last show on Earth. I'm Alistair Brammer. And I'm John Owen-Jones. And you are listening to the podcast where each episode we ask our guests the enormously important question that nobody ever needed to ask. If there was a huge asteroid hurtling toward Earth, threatening to destroy life as we know it, and you could see one more show before you die, what would it be? It can be anything you want. A show you've seen before, one you wish you've seen, or something you've made up entirely. Now, our guest this episode is theatre critic and journalist Mark Shenton. Mark was born in South Africa and moved to London in 1979 prior to studying law at Cambridge University. However, his passion was theatre, and he soon carved out a highly successful career as a theatre critic, working for publications like The Guardian, The Observer, and The Independent on Sunday. He was chief critic for The Sunday Express, The Stage, and What'sOnStage.com, among others, and until recently, he was president of the Critics' Circle. As well as an esteemed career in journalism, Mark is a true champion of the theatre and the arts. He has taught musical theatre history at Arts Educational School in London, sits on the boards of Mercury Musical Developments and the National Student Drama Festival, and is co-author of Hardin's Theatre Goer's Handbook with fellow critic and writer Roger Foss. We talked to Mark last October. And since then, he's reviewed two shows and a cabaret that John has worked on. Uh, Favourably, I might add. Otherwise, this episode would have gone straight in the bin. (laughs) (laughs) And we were delighted by his last show choice, as it really is one of the greatest musicals ever written. We also discussed his addiction to theatre, working from home, and a fellow critic with a penchant for reviewing West End shows whilst topless. Mm, But who is it? Find out by listening to the last show on earth of the human theatrical encyclopedia that is Mark Shenton. I kind of like to see myself not, it's not I don't really see it as an antagonistic role at all. I like to, to see that I champion theatre because I, I love it. I love it unashamedly. On here we ask the question nobody dared to ask. If you had a day to live, what show would be your last? What is your last show on Earth? This is the last show on Earth! My name is John. My name is Al. Been friends a long time past. We want to know what show you'd see. If you knew it was to be your last, what is your last show on Earth? This is the last show on Earth! What is your last show? This is the last show on Earth! Welcome to the last show on Earth, Mr. Mark Shenton. Hey! Hello. Hello. How are you, Mark? All good, all good. I'm sitting in Amberley in West Sussex, where I moved uh, last year, and it's a complete change from London. Yes, I saw your, your your lovely little cottage, right? That's right. It's a beautiful part of the world. It's gorgeous. We, we, we face the South Downs, uh, um, and it's just beautiful. Every cottage in the village is thatched, um, and it's, it's about a, a hundred cottages. It's, it, it's like living in a, in a tiny community. Lord of the Rings. Is there a pub? 
There are three pubs. There's, there's, there's a, a village shop and three pubs, and that's it. That's all we have. That's amazing. That's perfect. So why the change of pace then? Because I know you, you've got a place in New York as well, haven't you? Or is that, you do not have that anymore? We had a place in New York until May this yeah. year, and then we, we, we got rid of it because uh, two years of not being able to use it because of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and secondly, the, the fear that Trump may be back in 2024 <laughs> means, and we will probably never go to New York ever again in our lives, yeah. um, because America may be finished. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, Trump is a nightmare for me because um, I now have to get a visa every time I go back to America because I had my visa refused when Trump was in power my work visa there and I was doing some concerts over there and now it's a nightmare every time so well I've I've just got my green card through after after five and a half years of waiting because of Trump and then a pandemic I finally got yeah. a green card which is good news now all you got to do is get a job <laughs> yeah that's the that's yeah. the hard part yeah <laughs> this was the comparatively easy part and you have to keep going back you have to keep to keep it open you have to be, be in America for a certain amount of time a year that's, don't you? that's right yes yes so um so that shall be, um, yeah, it's, it's been okay so far, but I've only had it for like a few months. So I've, I've been twice. I did a little job. I did a little workshop or a, or a lab, as they call it in the States, um, over in New York last week. Um, so th- there's been a couple of reasons to go, but now I'm looking for that big, you know, ABC multi-million dollar TV contract, yeah. please. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. Of course you do. Of course you are. And you'll get one. You'll, there's no question. You'll get one. So what are you doing with your time nowadays, Mark? Because I know, obviously, you know, you've been a critic and all that kind of stuff. But so what, um, you're just basically working from home, then, are you? Yeah, but I'm still I'm still doing that. And, you know, obviously, one of the things, one of the reasons uh, for the move was because when I lived in, if you're an alcoholic, you do not live above the pub. And being, uh, as I am, a theatre addict, I was going to the theatre, living in London, seven nights a week. I would see between seven and 12 shows a week. Right. Um, and the only way I could stop was to get out of London. Um, and I now, I come up to London at usually one night a week um, and stay overnight. And so I see two shows one day, two shows the next and then come home on the late train on the second day. And then I go back every Saturday for one more matinee. So I see five shows a week uh, this way. Wow. Um, although, having said all the above, this week I've been in London pretty much every day. Um, <laughs> oh, right. Because there's been something that I needed to see. So it's flexible. It's only an hour and a half on the train. Mm. Yeah. Um, obviously, as a critic, you, you spend a lot of time at home writing anyway. So, so uh, the writing can happen anywhere. But... Um, in order to see the shows, I need to be where the shows are. And that's not always in London, of course. I mean, I've always covered this area. Chichester, we have a fantastic theatre yeah. 20 minutes away from my, my front yeah. door. We also have theatres fairly nearby in Brighton. Brighton's mm-hmm. about 45 minutes. Um, we have theatres in Portsmouth. Uh, Portsmouth. Yeah. Um, I've always championed regional theatre. I've always yeah. gone to see shows um, at uh, theatres like um, Manchester Royal Exchange, Sheffield Crucible, and so mm-hmm. on. So I'm I'm just doing more of the same. I love that you said I've been up I've been up to London every day this week because there was there's been shows that I've needed to see. Mm. I think that's that's probably what makes you a theatre addict. It, it, exactly, exactly. But I mean, there are things that you know I was they're not always for work. For example, last night I was in in uh, London to go and see um, Liz Calloway at Crazy Cox. She's an old friend, but she's also mm. one of the greatest cabaret singers of my life. I think she's one of the greatest singers. Period. Anyway, of any kind. And so I so I. So I, I you know, I wasn't working. I just went to see her. Oh, right. Now, talking of Chichester, I, um, I've got in-laws who live just down the road from there. And um, I go down there all the time. So I drive through Amberley all the time. Uh, but I've yet to go to the theatre in Chichester. So that's, that's, uh, that's insane, isn't yeah, it? Uh, that, yeah, that's an oversight. It's probably bitterness because I've never been cast in anything. Like that. 
<laughs> I'm just angry about that, you know. I think I've only ever had one audition for a show there in my entire career, which is crazy. I saw me and my girl there with Matt. Oh, with Matt right, Lucas, yeah, Matt yes. Lucas, yeah. Um, yeah. I saw yeah. that too. Um, um, we, we've just had Crazy For You uh, this summer, uh, which I'm sure will be heading to the West End with the yeah. amazing Charlie Stemp. Yeah. Um, uh, it's an incredible production. Susan Stroman came back to, to the UK to re-choreograph a new production. Um, wow. And uh, it's, it's brilliant. They, they're also sending um, a, a, one of the plays from the season, The Unfriend, with Reese Shearsmith uh, yeah. up to London um, in the new year. Um, several, you know, a lot of shows originate here before they go to the West End. Um, Sweeney Todd, the one with Imelda Staunton and Michael Ball, that began life here. Um, oh. Over the years, they've had many, many a transfer. So it's one of the major things. Theaters. And Daniel Evans has just um, announced that he's leaving to go and run the co-run the RSC, the Royal Shakespeare Company, That's with right. uh, Tamara Harvey. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for a new artistic director. Um, yeah. Perhaps John, you might like Michael to apply. <laughs> <laughs> I remember sitting with uh, Daniel Evans in the Soho House in New York when we were both on Broadway, and we were talking about the future. And he said, "Oh, he'd like to be artistic director of somewhere." at some point. And I said, oh, you'll do the National. He went, no chance, no chance. And now he's the head of the RSC. It's insane. I know, he's had an astonishing yeah. rise. I mean, because yeah. when he took over at Crucible, uh, Sheffield, he'd like mm. directed two or three plays, period. That's all yeah. he'd done. And yeah. they gave him that, that theatre to run. And he did a very good job of it. And then he yeah. brought Chichester, which is one of the foremost theatres in the country. Mm. Um, yeah. And now he's getting the RSC. It's kind of an astonishing trajectory. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, it, it couldn't happen to anyone nicer. I think he's a wonderful talent and an absolutely lovely bloke. Yeah. Uh, we should get him on this podcast, but um, he never answers my emails. Um, but let's talk about your life so far in the form of Al's 10 questions. Al's quiz, where he asks you 10 questions about your life and career, and then we can find out all about you without having to talk to you for four or five hours. Fantastic. This is Al's 10 questions. Are you ready for Al's 10 questions? I am. Dum, dum, dum. You were educated at St. John College, Johannesburg. Spell Johannesburg backwards. Oh my God, that's really difficult. I can't do that. I just can't do it. I haven't got the brain for that. Spell it forwards then. J-O-H-A-N-N-E-S-B-U-R-G. I couldn't do it backwards. I could not do it backwards. Well done, well done. Yeah. Question number two. You are a theatre critic. In the, in the Michael Keaton film, Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, which British theatre actress plays the role of nasty New York theatre critic, Tabitha Dickinson? Um, was that Lindsay Duncan? Correct, correct. Very good, very good. I actually was on a plane back from New York when she was filming that. She was in Upper, in, in upper Class, as was Virgin, and her husband, Hilton McRae, was in, was in economy with me. The, uh, the, 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 uh, <laughs> the studio had paid for her to fly at the front, but not him. Not him, that's brilliant. Uh, I, I know Hilton. I worked with Hilton in Limes, and I'm sure that his Scottish blood would have actually preferred not paying top dollar. <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> Question number three. You have seen and reviewed many, many shows at the infamous Donmar Warehouse in London. What is the capacity of that theatre? 251 seats. Very good. Well That's done. extraordinary knowledge. Question four. You studied law at Cambridge University. Clever boy. But which member of Monty Python did the same? I know. They, they, were, they all met at Cambridge. Actually. Oh, no, some of them went to Oxford. But um, uh, was it Dudley? Dudley Moore? Nope. No, no, no he wasn't in Monty Python. John Cleese. 
Yeah. John Cleese read law. Okay. He studied law. No, yeah. Yeah. And now, and now he's a he's a, a, a right wing zealot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it would appear so. Yeah. It's very odd. Yeah, it's just age, isn't it? We'll all we'll all get there eventually, Mark. <laughs> Question number five. Are ticket prices on Broadway and in the West End A, cheap, B, expensive, or C, very expensive? Uh, C, very, very expensive. In fact, very, very expensive in the case of Broadway and very expensive in the case of the West End. So D, very, very expensive. Okay, good. Question number six. Your first job in London was for theatrical advertising agency, De Winters. In what year? Uh, 80... Six, 1986, I joined there. Correct, correct. Question number seven. You were the stage's New York theatre critic. There are 41 Broadway theatres, but how many are there actually on Broadway? On Broadway, there's the Palace, the Winter Garden, the Broadway, uh, three... I think. Oh, no, married. Married, 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 Marquis, four. Very good. Four is correct. I was going to say, can you, can you name them? But that's, that, that's the next question, but you've got them. Good. Question number nine. You became editor for arts and entertainment at the Press Association in 1990. In what decade was the Press Association first founded? Oh, the 1800s sometime. Yes. I have no idea. 18 what? I don't know the history of the Press Association at all. Go for 18-somethings. Uh, I'll say 1880. Oh, 1860s. 1868 it was. And last question. You were president of the Critics' Circle. Name another shape. (laughs) Uh, Triangle. No, I'm so sorry. It was it was rhombus. We were so close. Congratulations. Uh, never mind. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Well done. I think you got a solid one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven and a half. Seven, seven and, and a half. half, I think. Yeah. 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 That's not bad. I mean, and you know, but actually, if you'd asked him questions about the theatre, you would have got them all right. I, think. <laughs> I know. My questions are a bit silly. But asking him to spell a, a, a South African word backwards was a little <laughs> bit unfair. <laughs> question yeah. one as well. Question one, really difficult. <laughs> yeah. So what what are you actually doing at the moment then, Mark? I mean, because you've been, you know, critic for, let me get my notes. Sunday Express. Sunday Express, The Stage. You've written for The Guardian. uh, Online theatre, you know, loads and loads of stuff. So what are you actually doing now? What, what, what happened after the pandemic, during the pandemic, pretty much, as you know, everybody, everything shut down. Mm. And actually, I had an existential crisis because I thought, if, if I'm not going to the theatre, who am I? Yeah. Because, uh, and there was, a, there was a big worry at one point when, you know, would, would a vaccine come along and, or, or are we doomed to live like this for a long time ahead? I remember Judy Dench saying that um, she, she, she worried that she might not get, appear in a theatre again. Yeah. And I thought to myself, do you know what? I know she's pretty old, but... You know, she she's thinking she may never step foot inside the theatre again. This could be curtains for us in the mm. theatre, uh, mm. this, this pandemic. But meanwhile, I also lost uh, every single source of paid employment. Mm. Um, so, because uh, journalism's dying on its feet anyway, we yeah. get we get paid. You know, I know actors complain about the reduced rates that that you are you guys are paid now, and producers sting you and 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 bargain you down to to really low rates. Um, but journalists, the journalism our rates have just fallen through the floor yeah so you, it's really difficult i mean i was very lucky to earn a living for 20 something years doing being a critic mm. but you can't i don't think you could earn a living doing it anymore and i i just thought having done all these 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 roles for newspapers and dealing with editors and and sub-editors and all that nonsense um i actually decided to of necessity partly but i decided to go on my own yeah and i now 
um, I set up my own website, which already had an existence, but I now, and I write, I publish it uh, uh, three three times a week. I publish a newsletter that goes to subscribers and is also online. Shenton Stage. Yeah, we well, can put the link up to that in the podcast description, right? But what's it actually called? ShentonStage.com. That's right. Weren't you a part of a thing called the Theatre Mates or My Theatre Mates as well with Terry Paddock? Yes, yes, I co-founded that with her. Yeah, yeah. So you yeah. kind of like you've had to cast your net wider, like actors have had to do as well. Hence, you know, this podcast. Exactly. You have to throw your uh, net as wide as you can and try to catch as many um, employment fish as possible. God, that's a terrible metaphor. <laughs> employment fish. And that's why I'm not a writer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have a question. You were the uh, what was it? You were the critic, the president of the critic circle. I was. I always wonder that with, with things like that, because I met someone who was president of the Noel Coward Association. Yeah. And I sort of think, what do those roles entail? I picture a group of men sat around a table taking minutes, and I, I'm sure that's not all it is. <laughs> so what sort of things do you guys do? Oh, isn't it like the Freemasons, where they're all like secret handshakes, sacrificial goats, wearing hooded robes, that kind of thing? Yeah. <laughs> the first and most important thing to say is it's not just men. Critics critics are men and women, yeah, of course. luckily. Um, you know, there used to be an all-male profession um, uh, once upon a time, and now it's roughly 50-50, I think. Oh, amazing. Um, you know, in terms of the national press, certainly we now have more female critics than we've ever had. Um, uh, first string critics, in particular. Um, you know, the, the the Guardian is a first string a first string critic as a woman. Uh, first string on the um, Observer, etc., uh, etc. Et so, um, and the critics circle is like a professional body that just represents all the all, all the all the all the critics, but also all the disciplines. So, yeah. when I was president of the Critics Circle, uh, it meant I was in charge of the organisation that represented film critics, music critics, um, art, art critics, and theatre critics. I see. So, it, it's it's sort of a sort of ceremonial role a bit because you you present uh, at the lunches. Uh, for example, we just we're just doing a lunch next month for Emma for Emma Thompson. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we did a lunch for Stephen Sondheim, um, which I which I co-hosted. Yeah. Um, when when we we give an annual. A lifetime Achievement Award, basically. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and when when we did the event for Stephen Sondheim, uh, I held it at the Menier Chocolate Factory, um, and I got Maria Friedman to come and sing a song to him. So it was actually all, you know, it was that, 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 that kind of thing that we do as a, as a circle. Do you ever have disagreements about viewpoints on shows and things like that? We do constantly, I have to say. You know, it, it's, it's usually fairly civil. Most, most of us, you know, have a respect for each other. Uh, there are some of us who occasionally fall out with each other. Um, I have had many a fallout over the years with critics, including um, Tim Walker from the used to be on the Sunday Telegraph. He's yeah. now a really good friend. So yeah. it just it's amazing how life can change. Um, yeah. But uh, the the other one was Nicholas De Jong, who was the, the oh, notorious yeah. theatre critic of the Evening Standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he he's always such a misery guts um, and. Uh, <laughs> He was really difficult to be around. I mean, period, yeah. just difficult yeah. person. I saw him at a screening just the other week, and he was still being difficult. This, this poor um, uh, assistant from uh, the press agency was sitting in the row in front of him. Um, this is like two weeks ago at the Michael Grandage film, uh, My Policeman. There's a private screening for yeah. it. And so at one point, suddenly I heard this, rum, this rumpus, and I looked over, and he was he was. was barking at her um, and he was barking at her because she kept sipping from her water bottle and he was finding it annoying <laughs> i mean this is the man he is wow. 
But one of the things he's most famous for is the fact that he takes his shirt off in the summer. We know how London theatres are incredibly hot sometimes. And he takes his shirt off in those, you know, those, those upholstered seats and, put, and sits there in his, with his naked flesh on the seat. Oh, my God. But, uh, we don't want to look at your, 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 your decaying body, Nicholas. Yeah. Of course, if I took my shirt off, they would, they would, they would think I'm wearing some kind of rug. But, but that's, <laughs> that's slightly different. <laughs> Uh, let's not let's not talk about chest hair, Mark. I know you and I have a history with that one, don't we? <laughs> yes, we do. But please share it with me. I don't know what you're on about. Well, it was very brief, wasn't it? It was a very funny night. I still talk about this to this day. Is that when I saw Miss Saigon with Alistair at the Prince Edward, from where I was sitting the first night, it looked like you know, the, light, the light stage lighting bleached him. So I, could, I thought I thought they'd forced him to shave, but I could see no chest hair. Right. And so, so, so I tweeted that night. I said, what, what, what's going on? Why have you got rid of your chest hair? And as said, before he even went to the first night party that night, he posted a picture of himself with his <laughs> shirt off. And a lovely bit of hair. <laughs> Wait, and this was on Twitter, not Grindr, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's wonderful. That's, that's hilarious. I've always wondered, because, I mean, I'm sure you get asked this all the time, this, these kinds of questions, but yeah. to be a critic... It seems from the outside like such a strange profession. It's sort of it seems like your your job is to criticize. And I wonder well, whether I think I think that's unfair. I mean, I know they're called critics, but I don't think their job is to criticize. I think their job is to analyze and advertise. That's what I think their job is. What do you think? I I, I kind of like to see myself not not it's not, I don't really see it as an antagonistic role at all. I like to to see that I champion theatre because I, I love it. I love it unashamedly. Mm. But obviously, I can't I can't champion without qualification. And I think you don't do the the profession any service if you give bad shows good reviews because yeah. of course people rely on what you say to make them to spend quite a lot mm. of money. As we said earlier, yeah. going into a Broadway show or a Western show is a lot of money now. Yeah. So you have to. I mean, I, I, the other day I was at the theatre and Adam Kenwright, mm. who's a producer. Uh, introduced me to another Broadway producer uh, with the following words. He said, this is Mark Shenton. We, we need him because he's honest and he keeps us in, in shape. Right. Um, I, I hold the theatre accountable um, yeah. and I hold myself accountable for doing that. Mm. I think it's a, it's a responsibility. It's a huge responsibility. It's, it's a job you have to take very seriously. Um, um, and, you know, it drives me mad nowadays. We have so many so-called influencers who just mm. run around um, uh, tweeting and Instagramming or whatever. Uh, and one of the things a lot of them do is they just adore everything unslavishly. So yeah. five stars. They want to get they want to get on the poster. Yeah. Um, and but not not every show is a five star show. It just isn't. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't do anybody in favor to say this is the greatest show I've ever I've ever seen every single time. Yeah, but it's it's, it's a very important role of critical plays, as you said. You know, I use them all the time. I don't go to the theatre very often because of a, I work in it, and b, it's expensive. Yeah. So I use critics, but I don't just go on the star rating. I'll always read the review in depth of something I'm interested in. Yeah. Now I remember when I did a show a few years ago, and you reviewed it, and you weren't particularly favourable. And I messaged you privately to say I agreed with everything you said. Um, I remember. We're not going to say what the show is because it's unfair to the people who are involved at the highest end. But it is one of the worst things I've ever been involved in. Some of the cast were absolutely besides themselves with about you. They, they didn't like you at all. But I, I was like defending you saying, well, that's his job. And he has the right to that opinion, just like everyone who's paid their money. Yeah. And don't forget, you do pay for a lot of tickets, don't you, Mark? 
I do, I do. And, and one, of, one of the reasons why actors, I think, get defensive about bad reviews is because, especially, you know, in that case, it was a show's trying out, out of town. And the, the hope every time you do a show out of town is it's going to, the reviews are going to be great and you're going to be transported to the West End forthwith. Um, and a bad review means that the show might not go further. So it's self-interest that they yeah. want the reviews to be good. Um, and I have to say, I admire actors enormously yeah. like yourself, John, who, who, Take the criticism yeah. well. Yeah. That that thing that must be a, a you know what you call a, a hazard of your job, where you will see actors or directors or producers who shows that you've slagged, and then you have to see them in a social situation. That must be really difficult, no? It it, it is. I mean, obviously, again, I've got to keep keep my integrity and do say what I what I've got to, what I got to say. I remember I was a friend of Judy Kramer, the producer of Mamma Mia. Um, and I really love Mamma Mia as a show. I've seen it many, many times. She then produced the fiasco that was Viva Forever. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and she came up to me at a, at a, at a, at a show, and she said, uh, the next time I saw her, and she said, Shenton, I'm going to cut off your balls. And I said, what's, <laughs> what's the problem? She said, your review of Viva Forever, it made me cry. Wow. Uh-huh. And I said, do you know, I said, I'm afraid I've got to call it like it is. Um, and, you know, and that's what I did. Yeah. That's tough. And I'm sure, really, at the end of the day, when she's counting her money from Mamma Mia, she's not actually that bothered. <laughs> she, she's got no problem. And, I mean, yeah, and she looks back in it and probably agrees with you now. But at the time, it was a raw wound, no? Yeah. Sometimes when you're so deep in something, or, or if you've been part of the journey of something from its sort of genesis right through to opening, and you've seen you know, how much better it's gotten since the first draft. Yeah. But a critic's job is to come in with, with a new pair of eyes and go, this is a musical, I'm watching it, and give the opinion. You, you, you weren't part of that process, so there's no reason why you should be forgiving in, in the way that the, that the team members are mm. towards their own piece, That's exactly right? right. That, yeah. Absolutely, exactly right. Um, I mean, another, on a Viva Forever subject, um, Sally Ann Triplett, who uh, was, was, was the lead in it, it was a big role for her, um, you know, her biggest break since anything goes to the national, um, She's a wonderful actor, Sally Antrip, yeah. and a yeah, lovely yeah. person too. Um, and I ran into her in New York during the run of Viva Forever. She was there on a holiday with her husband, uh, a break from the show. Um, and she, she, she kind of confessed to me just how very difficult it was to be in a flop show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I get that. It, it's, it's not easy. But she knew it was a flop. She wasn't, yeah. she, she wasn't beating about the bush. Um, and yes, it's it's disappointing when a show flops, but you can't not 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 everything's going to be successful. No, exactly. But you know what? Some of some actors wear that as a badge of honour, don't they? I know people who are in Witch Witch, and people who are in Bernadette, and people who are in Out of the Blue, and they go, "Yeah, I was in that. I was in. I'm proud to say I was in that. I was part of history. You know, I was in one of the worst shows ever created, <laughs> and that's that's a joyful thing to be part of too. It is. Uh, you you get some stories out of it, don't you? Michael Ball uh, is always fond of talking about the terrible production of Kismet he did at at ENO oh, yeah. at the Coliseum. It was ghastly, and he always talks about that production as being yeah. ghastly. Isn't that where he met Alfie? Am I am I right in saying that? I think that's where yes, he met, I think it met was. Alfie. Yeah, yeah. So that's that bloody show has got a lot to answer for. It absolutely does. Yeah. <laughs> well, shall we move on to, uh, shall we do What Three Words? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, What Three Words um, is based on a rather um, unnecessary skill that Alistair Brammer has, where he can tell you exactly how many letters are in a sentence. You tell him a sentence, he'll tell you how many letters are in it. Three words have you heard that you'd like to challenge Al with? It's a special skill to give you a thrill and prove he's a real 
wordsmith. Give him three words and he can say how many letters they contain right away. What three words have you heard that you'd like to challenge Al with? Oh, what three words have you heard that you'd really like to challenge Al with? What are your three words? Musical, recovery, and happiness. 24. What three words have you heard that you'd like to challenge Al with? It's a special skill to give you a thrill and prove he's a real wordsmith. Give him three words and he can say how many letters they contain right away. What three words have you heard that you'd like to challenge Al with? Oh, what three words have you heard that you'd really like to challenge Al with? There we are. Um, is that correct? It is, yeah. Musical seven, recovery is eight, and happiness is nine. So nine plus eight plus seven, 24. My word, your maths is very good, and your, but it's immediate, immediate how you do that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what he's ever used it for or how he even discovered this talent. But do you know what? Um, why don't we then get on to the main point of this conversation? Yeah. So why don't you tell us, uh, what is your last show? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. My last show on Earth would have to be my absolutely favorite musical of all time. Uh, the greatest musical I think it's ever been written, Guys and Dolls. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, Frank Lesser's 1950 <laughs> Broadway masterpiece. It's a musical that belongs to the streets of New York uh, and is just perfection in every way. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I think it's, it's definitely the best book musical that's out there. It's like it's flawless. Literally nothing happens in that show without a reason. And all the music comes from that. And it's, it's literally how you should construct, write and perform a musical. And it's simple too, right? It's quite a simple premise. It's 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 a great little plot. Um, it's you know it's based on on a, a, a book by Damon Runyon, full of quintessential New York characters. Um, and uh, but it's beautifully told. It's these two couples, um, the, you know, who one one a long term uh, engaged couple who've never um, uh, got tied the knot um, because the man is an avoidant, um, yeah. and this other couple uh, who are from the opposite side of the trap. One's a gambler, the other's a Salvation Army girl, um, and they fall in love. It's it's and it has the most wonderful songs. Did you arrive at this decision easily? Or was it like an obvious choice, or did you have anything else in mind? It was very easily chosen, I think, because I've, it's been such a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to teach at Arts Ed, the drama school in West London. Yeah. Um, in fact, you, John, came to talk to my kids once. I did. Um, very, very wonderfully. Yeah, and in fact, one of them ended up in Les Mis with me. Oh, wow, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, a girl called Charlie Byrne. Well, I, I know, I know Charlie, yes, yes. Wow. But I, I saw Guys and Dolls 
very, um, one of, I came, arrived in London in 1979 um, from South Africa, as we s- spoke earlier. Um, and in 1982, the National Theatre did a famous production at the Olivier Theatre. So at this point, I was, I was 20, uh, 20 years old. Um, and it was Richard Eyre, who then subsequently became the artistic director yeah. of the National, directed it. Yeah. Um, it was the most phenomenal production um, I can see it so vividly to this day. I mean, they did revive it in 1997, so um, the same production. So I saw that production too. But uh, the original production in 82, I think I went to it at 15 or 16 times. Wow. Wow. It was just perfection. The casting was absolute perfection. It was Julia McKenzie as Emma Satellade, Judy Covington as Sarah, Bob, the late great Bob Hoskins as Nathan Detroit, yeah. and the also late great uh, Ian Charlson as uh, Sky Masterson. Yeah. It was an incredible cast, um, and it was nicely, nicely. Just out of curiosity, nicely, nicely. The original nicely, nicely was David Healy, again late okay. and no longer with us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when yeah, they yeah. brought it back in '97, it was Clive Rowe. Yes. Of course. Oh no, I saw that production. And actually, can I tell you a little anecdote about that production? Um, I wore some costumes from the very original production of that. You know, the kind of pink, shiny tuxedos they had? Yes. Remember that? Yeah. Uh, we were in uh, A Little Night Music in 1995 at the National, and somebody decided to put a cabaret-style evening on, full of comedy and stuff, uh, at the Olivier, and Judy Dench was part of it, because she was obviously part of the cast, Pat Hodge, Sean Phillips, we all did different bits. And me and a very good friend of mine, Tim Godwin, we did a magic show. <laughs> <laughs> and we can't do magic at all. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, one of the cast who was six foot six, dressed up in one of the showgirls' outfits, and he was our magic assistant. And we did this cod magic show. And my friend fitted exactly into Bob Hoskins' suit. Now, you could even have been there, Mark. You might. You might. I, I was there. This. I saw it. I did see it. You were there, so you remember. So you would have seen me in in some outfits from Guys and Dolls. Doing a magic show, which you can't remember because Judy Dench stole the show, as she always does. She did. Judy Dench always steals the show. So her and Brendan O'Hay were there in front of a, a lot of glasses on a table, wetting their fingers, and they were doing do 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 yes. do 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 a little kind of sound and they also game. Did I am sixteen, going on seventeen, didn't they? Indeed, yes. But they were dressed as nuns, weren't they? Yes, they were dressed as nuns, and um, they were doing this like cod musical theatre Muppet Show act. Um, you know, wetting their fingers and making these glasses do different tunes. And then somebody started shouting from the audience, you're crap, get off, you're crap, get off. And it was actually the Broadway actor, Lawrence Guitar. <laughs> uh, he was put in as a plant and he started shouting at them. And then Brendan O'Hay was like, you can't talk to us like that. We're nuns, we're nuns. I said, Judy, he said, show him your cross. And instead of picking her cross up and pointing it to the audience, she went, Fuck off! <laughs> and it absolutely brought the house down. That production was incredible. What a cast you had! Sean Phillips as um, yeah, it was amazing as Counter yeah. uh, Madame Armfeld. Yeah. Uh, Joe Riding as Anne. I mean, I, I remember that production so vividly. And yeah, Judy Dench was, singing I, the yeah. pounds. One of the great, greatest. I, when I did my art ed classes, I always play them. Judy Dench singing "Sending the Clowns" as one of the best, greatest examples of acting through yeah. song there is. Well, I've got to tell you, I was in the rehearsal room with her because I know yeah. Judy for a long time before that. But I was in the rehearsal room with her when she first did it, and it was it was never better than that time. The beauty yeah. and the rawness and the originality that she brought to that was amazing. And then it actually got watered down for the performance. It wasn't as good 
I didn't think. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was extraordinary that even then, even when it wasn't as good, it was still the best thing on the London stage. Yeah, Incredible. I mean, she was heartbreakingly good. Mm. Um, and yeah. you know, it, it, that role is, was made for her because it's, it's it it was written as a role that you didn't need many notes to sit. You couldn't, you know, it was written for somebody who yeah. could only sing three notes, um, and you didn't yeah. have to be the best vocalist to sing it. But yeah. Yeah, she. Yeah, yeah. She just did it so, so exquisitely. So I mean, the National have wonderful track record on musicals. I mean, there's Guys and Dolls. No wonder I fell in love with Guys and Dolls. Um, yes. And then they recently did Follies, which, which, which uh, another Sondheim yes. masterpiece. That Follies production, I sat there watching it thinking this could only happen at the National. It couldn't yeah. happen anywhere else. Because the level of detail and cost for a short run can only be done at a publicly subsidised yeah. theatre. And I, I applaud them for it. It was amazing. I mean, Follies is the show that, um, you know, when, it, when, when I was looking at my last show on Earth, I, I, I did keep thinking, you know, the production I most wished I had seen in the original production before I, you know, I was too young to, I was only nine at the time, would have been the original production of Follies in 1971. Oh, right. But, so I thought, should I choose that as my last show on Earth? Um, and, and I get, decided not to, because what if it didn't live up to what I was hoping it would be? Because I, I, uh, yeah. I, I would most want yes. to see that production. But the, the, the Nationals production of Follies, was stupendous. Philip Cost, um, who's one of my best friends in the business, oh, was yeah. astonishing in it. Yeah. Um, and and Imelda Staunton. It was Imelda Staunton, wonderful. yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Other, the other one I wished I'd been at was the Lincoln Center uh, concert revival in 1985 of Follies, where they oh, got yeah. people like Lee Remick. Um, Elaine Stritch was in it, was it she? Elaine Stritch. Um, yeah, Mandy Patinkin uh, and Liz Calloway, yeah. who I actually saw last night at Crazy Cox. So um, mm, uh, yeah. Liz Calloway played young young Sally, yet the young the, the young version mm. of her. Uh, wow. I wish I'd been there. I did a terrible yeah. production of it at the, um, the the Albert Hall, which was oh, I say it's terrible. It was it had an amazing cast. We had Christine Baranski and all these amazing people. Did you, you did you see that? Did you have the pleasure? I did. I did. It wasn't good. You're right. Uh, alas, um, <laughs> I just missed the point entirely of the show. Um, unfortunately, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, right. even in a bad production, a show like Follies, um, you know, flies because it's always something yeah. to see. It's fine, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And you saw Lorna absolutely. Lorna Luft doing Broadway Baby and Betty Buckley doing um, I'm Still Here. There was there was some there was some show stopping moments, but it, the production was just a little bit weak, I think. Yeah. Who were you in it, Alistair? Young Ben. And from that, actually, I got I got um, my agent got an email the next day from Derek Barnes, who's the casting director for the BBC. We saw Alistair in Follies last night, bearing in mind I was playing a young lover, you know, fall in love with a girl. And we've got a role coming up in Casualty that we think he'd be perfect for. And it was for a screaming queen character, <laughs> this, this outrageous gay character. Um, and I got the job. I played it for six months. But um, I was like, I don't quite know what you saw in me in Follies. To, perhaps it was just a look thing, I guess. Oh, yes. You sent me a clip of that. You and Lee Mead, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. Me, me, me uh, spray, spray tanning Lee Mead's bottom. Yes, that was one of the highlights. <laughs> so so back, to, back to Guys and Dolls then. I, I saw a production of it, the one with Patrick Swayze. In London, yeah, I saw that one as well. Indeed, but I had Nigel Harmon in it, not Patrick. I saw, I think it was the third cast. That right. production actually originated at Chichester Festival Theatre, oh. um, and it went to the West End and had many cast changes. Um, during the run, Rebel Wilson played Miss Adelaide at one point. Um, uh, yeah. th- there were some great people in it. Um, uh, you, you and McGregor, uh, yes, exactly. Do you have um, a dream cast for that? Obviously, the original National Theatre production um, was phenomenal and hard to replace because, you know, Julia McKenzie is, as Miss Adelaide, truly, I think, probably the greatest musical theatre actor Britain has ever produced. 
um, probably mm-hmm. in my, well, certainly in my lifetime. Um, uh, and and uh, that's the end of the chat. Thank you very much. Goodbye, Mark <laughs> Shenton. Well, fem- okay, the, the best female musical theatre performer we've ever produced, I should Thank say. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm very needy. Um, but if I was going to cast it, I mean, obviously, that, that if I could reunite that cast, I would love to. But if I was going to cast it today, I think uh, you could play Sky. Me? And... Oh, Alistair Brammer. Wonderful. Yeah, very good. I'd be honoured. And John, you, 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 could, you could play Nathan. <laughs> right. You're my favourite guest we've had so far. Thank you yeah. very much. <laughs> uh, and I think my Miss Adelaide, Miss Adelaide has to be, has to be a funny person. Um, and that's why I think, again, from the National Theatre production, if I couldn't have Julia, I would have Imelda Staunton back. Because Imelda Staunton, she was an original hotbox girl in the original production in 1982. In 1997... Was wow. oh, she really? That's, that's, I did not know that. In 1997, she took over as, as Miss Adelaide. She was actually Julia McKenzie's understudy at the National. Yeah. Um, and it's where she met her husband, Jim. Jim Carter was playing Julie, oh, wow. was playing Big Julie. Oh, great. And that production has, uh, you know, is responsible for a lot. Um, yes. Wow, amazing. And what about Sarah? Uh, and Sarah, um, I, I was thinking this is really that's, it's it's a wet role. It's 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 difficult to cast, um, but mm. I want somebody who has the voice of Liz Calloway, who I talked about earlier, one of my favourite Broadway singers, um, and, or Nancy Lamott, the great Nancy Lamott, who right. who again is no longer with us. But those two voices, Liz and, and Nancy, are two of my favourite voices of all time. Um, so we can make some kind of monstrous hybrid of those two people, yeah, some kind of Frankenstein. Yes, those two voices. Put them together, and, and you will have your ideal Sarah. Yes, exactly. Or they could maybe just they, or they could just alternate the role, you know. Yeah. You know. So, but even though this this meteor is hurtling towards Earth, you've only got one chance to see this. Maybe Liz could do Act One, and Nancy could do Act Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Liz can do if, if I rebel, and then Nancy can do um, that 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 duet that they do. <laughs> when cool. there was a revival that Michael Grandage directed um, uh, in the Pic- at the Piccadilly Theatre, the one um, that that uh, you Patrick, Patrick Swayze yeah. did, yeah. Um, uh, but the original uh, Sister Sarah there was Jenna Russell, and Jenna Russell is incredible. Oh. She's one of our, and, and again oh, yeah. another really She's great, one of the great, great yeah. musical theatre actor. Yeah. Uh, and what about Nicely Nicely? My favourite role in the show. Nicely Nicely, Clive Rowe was was extraordinary. Um, oh yeah, uh, amazing! Yeah, when he took over in nineteen ninety eight and nineteen ninety seven, rather. Um, the the re- really interesting is that you know it's often cast as a sort of chubby actor. Uh, I once saw a production in New York which the guy wasn't wasn't chubby at all, and it was really worked. Um, mm, and that yeah. person was Walter Bobby. No who, way! Uh, he became the director of Chicago. He was an actor before he was a before he was a, a director. See, this just goes to show your depth of knowledge of theatre and why you should be so trusted as a critic, I think. Yeah. The mm. fact that you've got all this knowledge to hand and you can dip into that when you're actually judging new stuff, I think is absolutely vital. It's incredible. Your knowledge is incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. So, I mean, you've, there, I mean, there have been extraordinary casts for uh, so many extraordinary productions of Guys and Dolls. But so to choose this one, this looks like it's going to be quite the night out. It really yeah. is quite the night out. Before yeah, yeah. before we move on, see if you can let's let's play let's play a little a little game. Can you guess what role I played in an amateur production of Guys and Dolls at the age of sixteen? Age of sixteen, mm-hmm. um, Benny South Street, Arvid Abernathy. Oh, you did that. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, the eighty-year-old father of Sarah. Yeah, Velvet. I can wish you. That was me. And do you know, for years and years, that was the only song in the show that I didn't really like. I used to think there was one extraneous <laughs> song, 
uh, which and that's uh, more I cannot wish you. And then I saw production, and that song touched me beyond belief. And I thought, do you know what? Even that song is one of the great songs. In I think it's a gorgeous song, actually. Yeah, mm. I yeah, think well, it's, I think yeah, it's just yeah. him saying, "Look, I agree. I approve." You know, it's just beautiful. I think it's a lovely song. Um, yeah. Honoured to play it at 16 with big lines of eyeliner across my cheeks and face to make me look like I'm old. <laughs> oh, my God. That's yeah. brilliant. That, mind you, I was doing that when I was playing Valjean in the West End. So At, at like 23 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, now we've had that little question, that little extra question. I've got... It's time for our celebrity question, Mark. I've got this little voice note from someone that has been sent to me to ask you a question. So I'll just get it up on my phone. This is the celebrity question. Ooh, it's the celebrity question. Ooh, who could it be? Who's the celebrity? Question from Um, the late great Bruce Forsyth there. Um, I don't know what quite had happened to him. He sounded like he was having some kind of uh, massage when he was being asked that question. Uh, so, yeah, the late great Bruce Forsyth would like to know, Mark, what was the first show you ever saw? I grew up in Johannesburg, South Africa, and the first play that ever made a huge impact and actually led directly to where I am today was a production I was taken to as a school kid um, in a school party of Terence Rattigan's The Deep Blue Sea. I think I was 14 at the uh-huh. time. It's a play about unrequited love, a, ma- a woman who falls in love with a man who can't reciprocate. Um, and it overnight turned me into a theatre addict. And now what yeah, I find right. weird is about that play. I saw it when I was 14. I had no idea what Unrequited Love felt like. And yet somehow this play really touched me. Um, and I also yeah. didn't know and uh, that Terence Rattigan was a gay man who um, was writing the play in code about uh, a, a, a friend of his who was in an Unrequited Love affair with um, another man. Um, and right. And later on, you know, because when I came out as a, as gay myself, um, this this play is so layered. It's it's got so many levels to it, and uh, I think that's probably it's the play that changed me into. I used to love movies at that point when I was until I was fourteen, and then suddenly overnight I became a theatre addict. Amazing. Yeah. Well, that's that's a, you know that's a great answer. That's a great answer to what was really a rather ridiculous <laughs> question from Bruce Forsyth. Thank you, Bruce. Right, well, let's move on then to the next bit of the show where we want to find out all the little extra things you do when you go to the theatre. You know, your interval drink, your ideal venue, the plus one, where you go for dinner afterwards. Yeah. So let's start with your interval drink. Drinking's a problem for me because I don't drink. I've never been drunk in my life. Um, I'm in recovery for other things in my life, but uh, when, <laughs> when I say um, I don't drink, people assume you must be AA. 
the, the drink I would have to choose just to theme it properly is I'd have to choose a a, a dolce de leche, which is a in the show mm. um, it's the, the rum milkshake that that uh, they get served when they go to Cuba. Yeah, uh, this is Sky and Sister Sarah go to Cuba, and uh, she's never been drunk herself because she's a she's a Salvation Army gal, um, yeah. and she asks him what's in this cocktail besides milk, and he says there's a sort of native flavouring. <laughs> uh, and it's called Bacardi. And, <laughs> right, and she yeah, says, yeah. doesn't Bacardi have alcohol in it? Um, and he says, only to act as a preservative. So I think <laughs> the, the, the drink Brilliant. I have to have is, is a Dolce de Lecture. Fantastic. Excellent. And what would your, what, that's a great answer, what would your ideal venue be to watch this show? Ideal venue? I think um, we'd have to go to Cuba, obviously, um, because that's yeah. where a big chunk of the show is set. Um, um, but if we couldn't go to Cuba, um, uh, because I think that that's probably stretching a bit too far with this meteor coming towards us. Um, let's go to the Rainbow Room at Rockefeller Center. Yeah. Um, it, it's at the top of Rockefeller Center, um, and the views are st- stunning, and the room is stunning. It's an Art Deco yeah. masterpiece. Yeah. I mean, the Rockefeller Center is probably my favorite part of New York City, of Manhattan. You're the second person to choose that, that venue. Isn't that, isn't that the venue that Mr. Luke Kempner shows as well? Uh, yes, it is, for his dinner afterwards. Oh, right. For his Have dinner funny. afterwards. There we go. Yeah. So where would you go for dinner afterwards then, Mark? I'm not a restaurant person. I don't really go to restaurants, by and large. Food for me is very functional. In New York, I love diners. So you know what I'm going to say? Let's go to the Westway Diner. Why not? Very nice. I love the Westway. The Westway Diner, yes. I've never been there. I've been past it many times, though. I've been there about a million times. When I was doing Miss Saigon, I lived on on 42nd and 9th. So I I would walk straight up 9th to get to uh, 51st or wherever the Broadway is. And I would. Yeah. It was at least at least twice a week. I was in the Westway for their yeah. lovely um, little potatoes. What they call them, home fries. Yeah, all that stuff. Heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you've had your interval drink. You're enjoying the show. But who are you enjoying it with? Who am I enjoying it with? Um, do you know? I, I, the person I want would like to see it with is Julia McKenzie. If she's not in it, I'd like to be there with Julia because she's she knows the show, having done it for so that, long. That's a great choice for a plus one, somebody who knows the show inside out that you can sort of talk about it with and talk about the intricacies and enjoy it in its fullness on your last night on earth. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good night out. But um, do you know what it's missing? It's missing one of the greatest voices in musical theatre, Mandy Patinkin. Quite right. I do a little bit called, um, what do we call it, Alistair? Mandy Sings. Mandy Sings, where I do a little impression of Mandy Patinkin and then you have to tell me what the song is, right? Okay, so are you ready? Okay. It's Maddie, it's Maddie. You gotta try and guess at the song that he sings. It's Maddie, it's Maddie. You gotta try and get it. I really hope you get it. It's Maddie Sings. Yeah. Oh. I need Mr. Colton, tell me any little thing that I can do. Ginger Pitch Mr. Goldstone, have a kumquat, have two. What's that from? My God. It was a very good impression. Very good impression. <laughs> Thank you very much. It is. I chose a hard one because of your knowledge, right? I, it is a hard one. Normally, I choose simple, easy ones. You do. But I chose a tougher one. But And also, I didn't give it much. Uh, I, you couldn't hear most of the words. So uh, <laughs> the lyrics go like this. Have a lychee, Mr. Goldstone. Oh, of course. Gypsy. It's gypsy. <laughs> ginger, ginger peachy, Mr. Goldstone. Have a kumquat. Have two. 
some great lyrics there from Sondheim, of course. So there we are. The first person not to guess it. It's because you, you, believe did, that? you, you chose like a, a really, sm- a a really small part one. of a really obscure song. It's not that obscure a song, but I, I but but certainly as you wouldn't you wouldn't you never you, Mandy would never sing that song uh, first of all. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't blame don't blame me, blame Mandy. Yes, yes, yes absolutely. It's Mandy's fault. <laughs> it's Mandy, it's Mandy. Oh. You gotta try and guess at the song that he sings. It's Mandy, it's Mandy. You gotta try and get it. I really hope you get it. No. It's Mandy sings. During lockdown, my husband and I watched the entirety of Homeland, um, and he's extraordinary oh, wow. in that series. He's um, amazing in it, yeah. And because yeah. uh, I never watch TV because I'm never at home, uh, and watching all, the entirety of Homeland was an extraordinary experience. Um, Damien Lewis yeah. was ex- was amazing in it, I thought as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, a, 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 obviously, I'm, I've known Damien as a, as an as a, as a wonderful stage actor rather than as a film film yeah. or TV actor. But a few months ago, he invited me, which out, out of the blue, to his his wife's memorial service, Helen McCrory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and oh. yeah, he's a wonderful, wonderful actor. Yeah. yeah, I heard a rumor that he was going to be in Guys and Dolls. Am I am I right in saying that? I heard because you know there's this new production happening in 2023 at the Bridge Theatre. Yes, Tyson's directing uh, this like immersive production. Yeah. Somebody said that he might be involved with casting in it. I could see him doing that. Well, because he has done musicals. He did Into the Woods yeah. at the Donmar Warehouse. Um, uh, yeah, he's, yeah, which I saw. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he it'd be wonderful if he did a musical and that production. Of course, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, there's been no casting yes. yet. In fact, I do already have already bought my tickets for it. <laughs> the Bridge Theatre is absolutely gorgeous. I love that venue. It's a great place to work. It's a great place to watch stuff. It's, it's extra- it is an extraordinary space, yeah. Um, really lovely, yeah, yeah. I haven't been there yet. Shall we do a little, a little recap of your last show on Earth, Mark? Yes. You would like to see Guys and Dolls, the 1981 National Theatre version, but with... Myself and John playing Sky and Nathan, <laughs> respectively. Yes, Yay! Yes. I've got a job! Um, you'd like to see <laughs> Imelda Staunton play Adelaide. Liz and Nancy share the role of Sarah. You'd like to see either Walter, Bobby or Clive Rowe doing nicely, nicely. Perhaps they can take turns doing different verses of Sit Down, Your Rock and the Boat. Um, in the <laughs> yeah. interval, you would like a Dolce de Leche with lots of Bacardi. Why not? It's the last night. Um, You would like to see it in the Rainbow Room that we have moved to Cuba for you. So you get to sit in the Rainbow Room, but but with a beautiful view of Cuba. Um, And you would like to have dinner at the Westway Diner, and you'd like to do it all with dear friend Julia McKenzie. Yes, please. Not a bad way to spend your last night on Earth, let's be honest. No, true. Not a bad way at all. Seeing one of, if not the greatest musical ever written, uh, with some great people. The best 11 o'clock number ever written, right? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. That song. Yeah. I love it. Dubbed. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. That sounds wonderful. Great. Well, well we're going to head to the end now. We've got to wrap this up, sadly, but we really could talk to you forever about theatre because of your depth of knowledge. But um, now you must also know then that Billy Elliot, the wonderful uh, production by Stephen Daldry and Elton John and all those other people, uh, for the auditions, they have to tell a joke. Uh, the actors that go in have to tell a joke and they have so right. they have to tell it in a North accent. Did you know that? So they have to do a Newcastle accent. I'm not going to ask you to do it. Don't worry. Exactly. Thank God. Thank God. I can't do accents. If, if, imagine that you were auditioning for Billy Elliot. Let's say you may be either one of the minors or maybe Billy himself. Who knows? I wouldn't mind seeing you in a tutu. <laughs> Billy's dad, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Uh, a great, great role. That. Um, so you're auditioning. You're in front of Stephen Daldry and Elton John and all those other people. What is your Billy Elliot joke? <laughs> 
So a friend tells me he has to leave the play after Act One, which is something critics should never, ever do. And I said, but hold on, you, you, you really wanted to see the show. Why, why, why are you wanting to go now? And he replies, the programme says that Act Two was two years later and he can't wait that long. <laughs> God. <laughs> perfect. 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 A theatrical joke. Love it. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And thank you for sharing your last show on Earth with us, Mr Mark Shenton. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Yeah. Bravo. Thank you so much. That was the last show choice of theatre addict and font of all theatrical knowledge, Mark Shenton. And what a classic choice it was too. It was lovely talking to Mark and we really could have chatted much longer about theatre with him as he has literally seen everything and has many more stories to tell, I'm sure. Since recording this episode, the immersive production of Guys and Dolls we mentioned opened at the Bridge Theatre in London to ecstatic reviews, which included a glowing review by Mark himself. In fact, he loved it so much, he has seen it and paid for tickets himself a further three times. Honestly, he's incorrigible. I actually saw Mark at the first preview of La Cage au Folle last week at Regent's Park, which I'm in, and he told me he'll be going back to see Guys and Dolls as many times as he can during its London run. There are actually rumours of the production getting a Broadway transfer too, so I wouldn't be surprised if Mark does indeed go back to New York just to see it again. Also, since our chat, I should point out that I have finally visited Chichester Festival Theatre to see our previous podcast, the wonderful Danny Mac, and I loved it there. We'll be going back for sure. That's a great venue. Now, if you like this episode, please check out our back catalogue on Acast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or indeed wherever you get your podcasts. And also, please leave us a review wherever you can, as it really helps people discover this show. Glowing five-star reviews only. Now, please also follow us on The Last Show Pod on Twitter and The Last Show on Earth Podcast on Instagram. Right, that's it. Gotta go. I'm off to work now, as I mentioned, at Regent's Park Open Air Theatre, where I and the audiences are having a lovely time with La Cage Fall. The show runs till September, and you can get tickets via my website, johnwinjones.com. What are you up to, Al? Uh, well, I'm still shooting my movie down in Dublin, all very hush-hush at the moment, but looking forward to a summer release in 2024. And I'm working on a big TV series in London, all very exciting but not as exciting as the next episode of our podcast, which I'm currently editing. (laughs) And it's an epic one, ladies and gentlemen. I look forward to it, and I look forward to you joining us next time, dear listener, for another episode of The Last Show on Earth. On here we ask a question nobody dared to ask. If you had a day to live, what show would be your last? What is your last show on Earth? This is the last show on Earth! My name is John. My name is Al. Been friends a long time past. You want to know what show we'd see if you knew it was to be your last? What is your last show on Earth? This is the last show on Earth! What is your last show on Earth? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.